We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. Pursue God and grow. Pursue God and grow. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, hopefully you're learning now that the theme of 2 Peter is beware but grow. Beware of the false teachers but continue to grow. And remember, your growth will protect you from the false teachers. 2 Peter is saying the false teachers are here. They're be ready. They're coming in droves and they're coming over and over and over. They are here. Your growth will protect you from the false teachers. The closer we are to the shepherd who is Jesus, remember, my sheep will hear my voice. The closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you are from the false teachers. Remember, cults and false teachers, false world religions, etc., target babies. They're the easy ones to spot, and those are the ones that are most easily deceived. So baby Christians, the impetus here in 2 Peter is grow and protect, grow and protect. Now, last week, we talked about God has given us, to every believer, his divine power. His divine power has been given to each one of us in verse 3. He's given us His divine power has been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He's given us everything that we need on this side to make it through to the other side safely. That's what he's done for us. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us in verse 4 his precious promises, and the greatest precious promise of all is that every human has a chance to be saved. God's call goes out to all humanity as whether you receive the gift and believe in Jesus dying for your sins or not. That part is up to the human, but God does everything else. He changes the heart. He opens the mind. He opens the eyes. He presents the gospel in a realistic way to people. He gives them enough information to know, even by the creation and and writing his law in his heart, people have information to know God is there. God is real. And he wants to have a personal relationship with his people. He's given us those precious promises, and again, the most excellent one is salvation, available to all, that we may be partakers of the divine nature. Notice it is maybe, maybe. The question is, will you receive Christ or not? It experiences divine nature. And then escaping the world's corruption. It goes into phase two, or, or the second tense of your salvation, talking about sanctification, escaping the corruption into the world, being set apart unto God. And God has given to believers everything needed to make it and to grow through our time on earth. Through the world's pull. Now, the world is pulling at you, dragging you away to its viewpoint. And it is hard, and it is harsh, and it is constant, and you see it 24-7. You're being bombarded with the worldview that is anti-God, a worldview contrary to God. You have your flesh attracted to the worldview, and, of course, you have Satan that is at every step of the way encouraging you to make the wrong choice. So every, every one of us, in life, and we talked about this last time, we'll have a crossroads moment. A crossroads moment. You have God's power to say yes to the Spirit and no to everything else about you. 
you will reach what is called a fork in the road. And there's going to be a picture up here about the fork in the road. This little, this little guy is going to be up here momentarily. He's coming. There he is. Yes. Yes. And he's thinking, which way shall I go? Shall I go to the right? And that's the fun and games. Or should I go to the left? And that's another type of sin. Or will I go straight? And hear the voice of God say, this is the way, walk in it. Everybody reaches a fork in the road. But I want to tell you, you have a power within you to allow you to make the right choice. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read these, this, this, these verses. 117 says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If you want to take the right fork in the road, you need God's spirit of wisdom to allow you to make the right decision. And he gives that to his people. He gives that to his people. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, potizo, allow you to be able to see, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power that is available to each one of us, his power is dunamis power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty powers, ichthus, his power to accomplish, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He's given us the power that we need to make the right choices when we come to that fork in the road, and this might happen to you every day. You're going to have a fork in the road experience. Am I going to follow God? Or am I going to follow my flesh, the world, or Satan's pull? And it happens every day to every one of us. A decision has to be made, and you have the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. So this week we're going to be talking about add to your faith, which simply means add to salvation. That's faith in Jesus Christ. Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, that sort of thing. These are maturing attributes. And why are you adding this? Because at the end of our text, it says, so you will never stumble. So you will never fall flat on your face. God saves you. He gives you the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Remember, your body, your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God met with his people in the temple or the tabernacle. In the New Testament, he meets with you inside of you personally through Jesus Christ. That's a huge benefit that we have that they didn't have, the Spirit of God dwelling within. Now, with the Holy Spirit power, he's given you the ability to mature, to change, to be more like Jesus. That's our whole goal here now, become more like Jesus, to serve him while we're here, and to have an abundant entrance into the kingdom that you'll see at the end of the text here uh, today. So this week, pursue God and grow. Add to your faith and grow. We are to rise up as Christians and grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us the Holy Word of God, Holy Spirit, the things that we do not know teach us. And as always, the things that you teach us help us to apply to our lives. May we not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, pursuing God, pursuing God, that is the key to growth. The only way to grow is to pursue God. It will not happen by osmosis. It will not happen by wishing and hoping. Oh, I hope I mature. No, it happens by work and its diligence and its persistence. My, there's a Psalm 63, and it says this, My soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. 
My soul follows hard after you. This is not an easy thing to be a Christian. It's easy to become a Christian, but living the Christian life is a whole different story. Jesus did all the work for us. We received the gift, but oh, living this thing out is a whole different story because you have a lot of pressures dragging you away from the truth of who Christ is. A.W. Tozer says this in his book, The Pursuit of God. We pursue God because and only because, and please hear this, don't drift from this, he first put an urge within us that spurs us to the pursuit. No man can come to me, said our Lord, except the Father which hath sent me draws him. That's John 6.44. And it is by this previent drawing, this grace to believe, that God takes from us every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God. It does not originate with humanity. It's very dangerous for someone to say, oh, I'll get around to that when I feel like it. That is not how salvation works. God is the one that initiates. God is the one that opens eyes. God is the one that changes hearts. It is a work of him. It's a miracle of him and the human. And when he's doing that, behold, that day is the day of salvation. But the, he goes on to say this. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him pursuing him, as Peter's calling it here. All the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. And I love this, the heavenly birth without which we cannot see the kingdom of God is not an end but an inception, for now begins the glorious pursuit, the heart's happy exploration of the infinite riches of the Godhead, the infinite riches of God. I will submit to you that forever and ever and ever and ever, when we are in the kingdom, we're going to be exploring the infiniteness of God, the infinitude of God, and it's all going to be new. On that ride, on that trip we take through eternity, you will never hear these words. I'm bored. I'm bored. When are we going to start having fun, Dad? We'll be exploring him forever. Peter is encouraging his readers to pursue God, and I, and I want to say it's an all-out effort. It's not a cursory effort in pursuing him. Do not be satisfied with a mere touch of God, but be immersed in God. And we are to add to our faith all of those things. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. We are to add those steps in the process. And it's a, it's a stepwise process. You don't start at the bottom and leap to the top. It is a stepwise process, experiencing God. And if we do, if we get on that, that track of climbing the ladder, so to speak, and experiencing him, you're in for the trip of your life. It is the most beneficial, grateful life that you can ever have. A.W. Tozer says this, Faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze at the heart of the triune God, to experience a close, intimate relationship with the triune God. Moses' desire was to experience God. Now, this is Moses in Exodus 33 saying, I'd like to experience you, God. Now, this is Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Remember, he experienced God there. He experienced God through all the plagues with Pharaoh, 10 plagues, and he saw the miracles of God and the deliverance of the nation of Israel. He experienced God when his rod Touched the, touched the Red Sea, and it split, and they walked over on dry ground. He experienced God when all those waves came over and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. He experienced God all through his life, but yet at this point, 
At this point, he says, I want to experience you more. I want to have an experience with you. Watch what he says in Exodus 33, 13. Show me your way that I may know you. All those experiences, that I may know you in a deeper way, that I might find grace in your sight. And God granted Moses his request because in 33, 17 through 19, we see these words. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. Oh, everyone that's born again of the Spirit has found grace in the sight of God, and we have the potential to have experience with him that, that are beyond our imagination. Climb the ladder. Grow in him. He says this, you found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. That's intimacy. God knew Moses as well as he knows you by name if you're born again. To really experience God, you must know him deeply and seek him with all of your heart, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me, and you seek me with all of your heart. It's not a cursory thing. It is with every part of your being following after God. And then he says this, and he said, please show me your glory. Show me your kavod, your weight, your majesty, your heaviness. Show me your glory, God. Then he said, God says this, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. Don't just rush past words. This goodness is absolute, complete purity. Holiness, righteousness, which Moses cannot take. No human can take this. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So what does God do because he cannot experience his, 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 his full holiness? He hides him in the cleft of the rock. And then God passes by, and he can get a glimpse of, of, the, of, the, of the back of God, but he cannot be in his total presence. Why? Because of the goodness, the purity, the holy of God. We cannot stand before him. We cannot stand before him. That's the righteousness of God. Peter is playing on this. Peter is saying we can know God in a deeper, more intimate way, but it takes us growing in him. It's not automatic. Salvation is automatic. When you say yes to the Lord Jesus, he saves you. You are secure in him. You have a home in heaven. But, oh, this thing called sanctification or growth is a process. It's climbing up this ladder. It's climbing the ladder. Peter says this faith saved you, but the sovereign God is the one who did this. But your job is to pursue God and grow. And you have the ability, everybody that's born again of the Spirit has the Holy Spirit that allows them to do this. It's not just for the super-duper supernatural Christian. It's for every one of us has this power within us. We have to walk in the power that he's given us. The pursuit of God starts with God. It starts with God. No man can pursue God until God has first pursued him. No man can pursue God until God has pursued him. How do I know that? Romans 3.11. No one seeks after God. No one does good. There's none righteous, no, not one. The pursuit of God. And it's a cooperative thing between the Holy Spirit and you. You can't just get up one day and say, okay, now I'm going to give it all I got. I'm just going to run after you, God. No. You do it in concert with the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in, in Galatians chapter 5 that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Oh, we don't go rushing ahead of the Spirit. We don't lag behind the Spirit. Oh, but the beneficial life is when we walk in concert with the Spirit of God, the parakletos, the one that comes along your side. 
and walks you through this life. Oh, that's where the, that's where the victorious life is. In verse 5, we see these words, pursue God and grow. And notice the urgency for this. Peter is expressing an urgency here, verse 5, but also for this very reason. Now, what is the very reason? Well, it's the verses before that, because of his divine power, his, his, his glory and his virtue, his precious promises. We're partakers of the divine nature in, in verse 4, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, because we have this power, give, have, giving all diligence, not just a little diligence, all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. Giving all diligence. You know what that means? That means haste, speed, eagerness, everything within you. The Christian, when saved, is to be full speed ahead and pursue God and to grow. It's an expectation of every believer. It's an expectation of every believer. The rapid transition from baby to maturing is an expectation. It isn't an ex expectation for someone to be a baby Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and die a baby Christian. To die a carnal Christian is even worse. Way over here on this side is carnal Christianity. Way over on this side is a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. These are both going to heaven. Who's going to get the abundant entrance? The bondservant, those who have served God. These people are going to get in by the skin of their teeth. Well, it's because of the blood of the Lord Jesus, but they have no works to show. We'll demonstrate that more in just a few seconds. So, an expectation of every believer. Baby Christians who are stuck in the milk year after year or stuck in their ritual. People get involved in ritual and in, in certain ways of doing things. The status quo, the stagnant, is not normal. Peter is describing an urgency, but the question is this. what's the hurry. What's the hurry? The hurry is this. Peter is, 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 is exclaiming as, as much as anybody does. Jude is probably the only other one that warns in Scripture about false teachers. Jude and 2 Peter are, are much unparalleled. The hurry is this. False teachers, the wolves are coming. They're here to snatch away the babies. And like I said, cults, false religions, and the world system under the control of the roaring lion, seeking whom he may be devour, targets babies. And make no mistake about this next statement. Satan's goal is clear, to keep you a baby, to keep you in the pablum, to keep you stuck in the milk, to entice you to go back to your old familiar ways, to isolate you and to destroy you. That's what his goal is. That's what his goal is. Growth protects you from this deception. There is, there is an urgency to grow, folks. There is an urgency. And I would, I would try to express that as much as I possibly can. Being a baby Christian forever is not where you want to be. In verse 6 and 7, we're to pursue God and grow. And they're growth steps. And these are not easy, but they are necessary. Watch this. So he says, adding to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, and in verse 6, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And I want to show you, this is a growth ladder. You're going to see this little guy on the growth ladder. Now watch him. He's looking a little bit silly, isn't he? Oh, I'm on the growth ladder. His foot is a little precarious on the ladder. 
meaning that he's ready to slip and fall flat on his face. Oh, look at me as I'm climbing the ladder. I'm just so, you know, when you're climbing this ladder, your face is forward, your feet are firm, and you're climbing the ladder so you don't slip and fall off the ladder. That's the that's important thing to remember here. This guy is acting a little, oh, it's so great and so easy. And, you know, it takes discipline to climb the ladder. Now, keep that thought in mind. Keep that picture in mind. Anything of value takes work. You realize that by now, most people have realized that. It's not automatic. You are to add. That's what it says. You are to add. It's a process of growth, the growth ladder, okay? You are to add virtue. That is the very first rung of the ladder. When you're growing from a baby to a mature Christian, the first step, the first step on the rung is virtue. Virtue is moral character. It's a change in character. It's the courage to live out the changed life. It's the courage to do this. That all may know that I belong to the Lord Jesus. You know, it starts with your baptism. And would people really, really understand what baptism is? It is I am, I am demonstrating to the world the burying of the old me, the raising of the new me. I'm walking in newness of life, and I am committing myself fully to the Lord Jesus. When you get baptized in India, that's a big deal. When you get baptized in North Korea, that's a big deal. People get baptized in America, and it's just, a, it's, something, it's just a tag that you add on. It's an important part of our Christianity. I'm telling the whole world, I belong to Jesus Christ, and I will follow him. That's what that means. Virtue. that all may know. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I hope in your workplace that you are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that you don't have a silent witness. A, the people need to see our lives. That would be a silent witness. I would agree with that. But there should be no one in your sphere of influence that has any question about where you stand with Jesus Christ. There's opportunities for you to share and for you to have everyone know where you stand with the Master. There's no equivocation on this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of the power of God and the salvation of everyone who believes. Again, that's the power of God that I won't be ashamed. After virtue, your next step, you add knowledge. And that's the day-to-day -day knowledge of how to navigate through your, through your day God's way. It's those crossroads experiences where I'm going to take the right decision, make the, wrong, make, make the right choice, not the wrong choice. I'm going to deal with the trials and temptations of everyday life. I'm going to take the right fork in the road. I'm going to stay straight on the path. I'm not going to go off to the right or to the left. After knowledge, we are to add self-control. And this is real simple. Self-control is real simple. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But watch this. It, it, is, it, it is the control of the fleshly urges. Every one of us in here and everyone that will ever hear this into the future realizes that we have fleshly urges. Each one of us has a particular thing that Satan knows how to deal with and that your flesh has a drawing to. Every one of us has that. Self-control. We have the powerful, we have the power of the Spirit of God to say no to it and say yes to the Spirit. Now, how do I really have self-control? By walking in the Spirit, that's Galatians 5.16, but also abiding in Christ. These two would be very similar. I'm going to abide in Christ. Remember John 15.5? I am the vine and you are the branches. 
If a man remains in me or abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. And, and I want to emphasize this, and I'll emphasize this again. When you abide in Christ, a natural outcome of that is fruit. Again, you're not straining to grow fruit. It's not popping out because you've strained. It's a natural consequence of abiding with the master. That's what fruit is. And then you add perseverance. You know what perseverance is? Hupomone is, is the Greek word. But it means patience with, with circumstances. Macrothumia means patient with people. We want to be patient and boast. But this in particular is talking about patient with circumstances. And I want to suggest to you something. This is an active process, not a passive process. It's not sit, sit back and put up with your trials, but you have a spirit that stands up, faces life's trials, and says, I will not be moved. I will not be a victim. I will not be a victim, but a victor. I'm going to pursue God with perseverance. And then you add godliness, which is the next step. And that's the morally good life. Now, what will a morally good life look like? Well, we know we're going to, have, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. So you're going to have, you know what I think you're going to have with a morally good life? You're going to have a great attitude, a great attitude towards others. You're going to be graceful with others when you have the opportunity to hold their feet to the fire. They have the opportunity to pay back. Remember how God has graced us. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repaid us according to our iniquities. By his mercy, he has saved us. He has dealt with us with grace and mercy, and that's a quality of someone that is a growing Christian. When you're growing and you can extend grace that is undeserved, remember it's undeserved, unmerited favor, you know you've taken a step on the ladder. You've taken a step up on the ladder. When you have a servant's heart, and again, Jesus was the greatest servant of all, when you don't seek your own way and you're not prideful, showing respect for others, you've taken another step on the ladder. That's godliness. That's godliness, pursuing God. And then brotherly kindness, which seems, they seem very close to me. Godly, godliness facilitates brotherly kindness, and this is the love for another, the ability to put up with one another. That's an amazing statement, to be able to put up with one another. Colossians 3.13 says this, bearing with one another. That's putting up with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave me. Now, how much did Christ forgive you? Just, just like a ton. It's boom. I mean, it's just everything. He's forgiven me. As far as the east is from the west, he's taken our transgressions from us. And so it's incumbent upon us to have that type of spirit of forgiveness for other people. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. That's an imperative. It's in the Greek, an imperative. That's a command. It's not optional for Christians, but that's a growth step. So you can't do that until you've reached that step of growth. You can't do that as a baby. Babies don't forgive like that. You can't reach that until you had virtue, kindness, that whole step process. You have to, you have to take the steps. Make room for other people's opinions, feelings, and try to see through another person's eyes. 
Try to see through another person's eyes. Next one is love. It's the, it's the highest, highest one. It's, this is agape love. It's the top rung of the ladder. And agape is this. It's simply seeking the highest good of the other person. Not me. It's an extension. It pours out of me into the people around me. Seeking the, this is unconditional love. It's seeking the highest good of another person. This cannot be done without the process of change that comes with pursuing God. This cannot be done without climbing that ladder of maturity. You just don't leap to this step. It is something that comes when you spend time with the Master. And you say no to all those things that are tugging at you from the world. It's a process of growth. Remember, His divine power has given us all things that leads to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. And then He talks about these steps. We have His divine power. Growth steps, not easy but necessary and expected by God. And please remember this. Progress is the way to more progress. You take a step, and then you take another step. You can't leap to the top. You can't jump up to the top rung and do a pull-up and say, I'm there. No, you have to experience the growth at each level. And hopefully not slip off like Mr. Smiley there on the ladder and slip off and, sl and start over again. Okay, that's the important thing there. Verse 8 and 9. Pursue God and grow and keep pushing on. Keep pushing on. Don't quit. Remember Winston Churchill's famous speech? Never quit. Never quit. Never quit. Never, ever, ever, ever quit. And then he sits down. Never quit. Verse 8 and 9. For if these things are yours and abound. So what is, again, this is conditional. The if are those things that we just talked about, the ladder of, uh, of maturity. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren, that means useless, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, nearsighted, can't see far away, even to blindness and has forgotten, watch what they've forgotten, that he was cleansed from his old sin. He's talking about the saved people here. He's talking to save people who haven't grown, who have fallen back, who have backslidden. That's what he's talking about here. It's easy to slip off a rung and go back into the flesh. Anybody, anybody been there? Slip off a rung, thinking I'm right at the top of the rung. I'm an agape. I'm an agape. And before you know it, I'm flat on my face, embarrassed by what I've said or what I've done. That's the truth of life. That's the truth of life. It's a journey. And folks, there's bumps, there's potholes, there's storms, and there's traps that are out there for you. You must realize that pushing on and pursuing God is the key to a productive life. Pushing on and pursuing God is the key to a productive life. Don't ever quit. Grow and pursue God. We have a hope that no one else has. We have high hopes because we are connected to a power source that is greater than anything in the universe. There's nothing that Satan has, nothing that the flesh has, nothing that the world has. We are connected to a power source that is unequal to anything. 
We have hope that is greater than any people on earth. Hope is the earnest expectation that something good is going to happen. Through all of this mess called life, through all of it, something good is going to happen. What does God promise in Romans 8.28? That God works all things for good for those who love him. doesn't say everything's good. Remember, we have to qualify this, but he works it. He brings good into it. That's our God. Our God is awesome. He is an awesome God. He says, don't be barren. Don't be useless. Not unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. And I'll tell you, this is sadly the state of many believers today. Cleansed from their sins, but not progressing up the ladder of maturity. Many believers stop at faith and then fizzle, and then fizzle, and never experience the overcoming Christian life. And you know what happens? They lose hope. They lose hope. Sadly, they say, this Christian thing isn't working for me. Or they start pointing fingers at the hypocrisy of all the other Christians instead of looking at themselves. See, this is all about us. It is about us individually. Us individually. Fizzle. Listen to this statement. If we really pursue God and grow, the Christian life will not, will not be short-sighted unto blindness. It will not be dry and barren, useless and slothful, but will produce the ripest fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Starting at the top of the ladder, fruit, it all depends on you. Walking in concert with the Spirit of God. It all depends on you abiding in, remaining in Christ. And not, note this, it's not your way, it's not your feelings, it's not your plans, it's not your excuses, it's not your rationalizations, it's God's way. To a great extent, your contentment here is dependent on you pursuing God. Pursue God and grow, verse 10 and 11. Expect, and this is great. God is so good. Expect this. If you're, if you're climbing this ladder, at least you're working at this. I'm not saying we're ever going to be perfect climbing this ladder. And I suggest to you that we all slip off, but don't stay off the ladder. Continue to grow. Don't get discouraged. Keep growing, because you have an abundant arrival awaiting for you. You keep working at this. You have an abundant arrival awaiting for you. Verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren. Who is he talking to? Brethren. He's talking to saved people. Be even more diligent. Be even more eager to make your call and election sure. What's he referring to there? He's referring back to that ladder of success in maturing. That's how you know that you're, that, that you're saved, that you're really genuine, that you're making progress in this thing. The carnal Christian never knows. They're off in la-la land. They never have the assurance of, of, of knowing the, the master. To make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, that's the list, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love that word, abundantly. Yeah, that's right, abundantly, yes. God's desire for you, for his children, is the abundant life. And I would suggest to you, it starts now. 
isn't just something coming in the future. It starts now. The abundant life starts now when you're all out for God. Starts now. And then you will have an abundant arrival. So listen, you have an abundant life now. Abundant blessings now. Abundant joy now. We have an abundant joy. Look at John in 15, 11 says this. These things, just as Jesus speaks, these things I have spoken to you, that, that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full, overflowing, full. That's John 15, 11. And then, and then you, have, you have an abundant blessings, you have abundant joy, you have abundant peace. And Jesus said in John 16, 30, these things I've spoken to you, in me you have peace. Oh, that peace that passes all in. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have crushings. You will have disappointments. You will have struggles. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Man, that's good news. That's time to clap. Say, thank you, Lord. I have overcome the world. He makes us overcomers. And when he uses this word, it sounds really important to me. Make your call and election sure. I already thought it was sure. Make your call and election sure. God's call to humanity. God, remember, God initiates, God draws, God convicts. Bob Utley, who's a pastor of a church, says this. He's also a seminary professor, but he says this. Believer's ultimate hope is the character of the Father, the work of the Son, and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. However, these are confirmed in individual believers by their lives of faith, godliness, etc., God deals with humanity in a covenant relationship. He sets the agenda. He initiates the encounter. He draws us to himself. Oh, but he says this, but we must initially, we must initially and continually respond in repentance, faith, service, obedience, and perseverance. The gospel is a person to be welcomed, a truth to be believed, and a life to be lived. If any of these is left out, mature biblical Christianity is impossible. What a statement. We are ex expected to grow. We're expected to be part of this process. If you leave out the person of Jesus and seek some other way, if the truth of Jesus is not believed, if you are not believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins personally, you're going to be left out. If the life lived for Christ, there's not any shred of evidence. You have no assurance. Now, you might be a carnal Christian way over here. I can't tell. You can't tell. Only God knows. But I will submit to you, there's a lot of people that think they're Christians, that think on that day when they breathe their last, because when I was three years old, I walked an aisle in Sunday school, and I made some sort of commitment. I had no connection with God for the next 70 years. I had nothing to do with his book. I had nothing to do with his people. I had nothing to do with him. I did my own thing. And think that I'm secure from that. You are sadly mistaken. You are sadly mistaken. That is a critical thing to, th to think about. Now, that person could be in. I, I cannot judge someone's salvation, but I would not be hanging on that limb. We're all dangling by that little thread. Remember that one sermon? But that's, a, that's the thinnest little thing that you're hanging on to. Don't ever try. We have an assurance. You don't have to live like that. You can live with the assurance of knowing. What, what did John say? These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Why? Because you're in the process of growing with them. There's, there's at least there's an effort that's going out. I'm not saying we're all going to do this perfect all the time. There's forwards and backwards and ups and downs in our life and our spiritual life. But I'm telling you, get on the ladder. You slip down, 
get back up and start climbing. It don't look like this guy, you know, climbing up thinking he's got it made. No, we get on and with diligence, we start climbing again. That is what we do. Be diligent. Be eager to make your call and election sure. How? By living out, pursuing God in your life. Then you can know that you know. If your faith is sure, if your election is sure, you will never stumble. In the Greek, it is never, never stumble. It's a double negative. You will not be tripped up or experience a reversal. Many Christians get tripped up. Many Christians are nearsighted. Many Christians stumble but are still saved. They call them carnal Christians, and that's such a dangerous place to be. Because again, they never know, and those observing them never know. The promise is if it's conditional, you do these things, you won't get tripped up. You can be sure that you're in this. Remember, you're to examine yourself in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 13. You examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. This is something that we are to do routinely. Examine ourselves. Dokimozo ourselves. Are we genuine? That's what Paul is saying to these Corinthian people. And we are to do that. Examine ourselves to see whether in our face. Test yourselves to see if Christ is in you. Those who stumble, those whose works are burned. Now, this is the reason I believe in, the, in carnal Christianity. It all goes back to 1 Corinthians 3.15. We'll, those, those, those who are whose works are burned will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. You'll stand before God on that day when we give an account, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, experience the love of God, but also experiencing the regret that you've had for going your own way, making your own choices. This will happen to each one of us. This is a fait complete. We will individually, you're not going to go there with your mommy or your daddy or your brothers or your sisters or your gang or whatever you think you're going to, you're going there by yourself and everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. And this is where you want to say, I have served, you know, God, we're all going to feel inadequate. I think it's all going to be a sense of inadequacy at this thing. But we will know that God was going to, he, is a, he, he rewards abundantly. Let me continue with this. They will suffer loss. The problem is they never really know if they're saved or not. There's no assurance for those people. There's no assurance for those people. Who receives an abundant entrance? That's the question. Who receives an abundant entrance? It's not every Christian. But it's for those pursuing God, growing in their faith. That's what it says here. These people that are growing in their faith, that are in the battle every day, that are climbing the rung. And again, you might slip off, but you get back on. You don't, step, you don't fall on your face and say, oh, I just quit. That is not what we do. We get right back up and we start climbing again with the Holy Spirit's help. For those pursuing God, growing in their faith, those giving all diligence, eager to pursue God, adding to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, etc., our promised and abundant entrance. This is a copious, that's what the word means, copious, rich entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus. This suggests rewards. This suggests rewards, which will be spectacular. I mean, God is a rewarder. He, is a, he richly rewards his people. He doesn't just give you a little dripple. 
Oh, you just earned your 25 cents today. Oh, no, it is an abundant entrance, abundant rewards. Hebrews 11.6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, a recompenser, a recompenser. Henry C. Morrison was a missionary in Africa for 40 years. Somebody writes about him. Henry C. Morrison, after serving for 40 years on the African mission field, headed home by boat. On that same boat also rode Theodore Roosevelt. Morrison was quite rejected when entering New York Harbor. President Roosevelt received a great fanfare as he, as he arrived home. All the bands, all the people, all the banners, everybody shouting for the president. Morrison thought he should get some recognitions for 40 years in the Lord's service. Then he comes to his senses. Then a small voice came to Morrison and said, Henry, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Your abundant entrance is awaiting you. This is nothing, Henry. This is nothing, Henry. You have an abundant entrance. And I think it's something like this. It's like the marathon race. And you're coming down that 26 mile, and you're going into the stadium, and you get, you're giving your last gas to get in. And what does the stadium do? You hear it from outside, and you start to hear the roar crescendoing. I, I, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but I have a suspicion that there's going to be something awaiting you akin to that, that this glorious, abundant entrance will be waiting for you to come into the kingdom of God. And then the greatest words we can ever hear, you know what I'm going to say. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I mean, it can't get any better than that. It can't. It's great. It's wonderful. It's terrific. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you've shown towards his name, that you minister to the saints and do minister. Oh, your service is valuable to God. Valuable to God. Closing very quickly. Pursue God and grow. Growth is expected. Climb the growth ladder. You may slip off a rung when you do, but get back up and climb. And I think I put the picture up here again of this dude on this ladder. Oh, just get on. Put both hands on and just start climbing and keep going. And if you slip, which we will, you get back up and you get going. Pursue God with an urgency. Pursue God eagerly. Growth is expected of us. Pursue God and keep pushing on, verse 8 and 9. Prepare for your abundant revival, arrival in, in, into heaven. But hear this. Have you ever, did you ever feel like a failure? Yeah, I sure have. That you have blown it, and that you, if you feel, have felt that way, you're in good company. In his book, Pursuing God, A.W. Tozer writes about biblical heroes who slipped and got back up. Listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer. Any Bible character who honestly tried to glorify God in his earthly walk could see how God winked at his weakness, overlooked failures as he poured upon his servants grace and blessings untold. Let it be Abraham. Abraham had many, many issues. Jacob, David, Elijah, Peter denied our Lord. Elijah, or whom you will, whoever you can think of, honor followed honor as harvest the seed. The man of God sets his heart to exalt God above all. That's the key. Set your heart, set your heart on God. Exalt God above all. God accepted his intention as fact and acted accordingly. Not perfection, 
but holy intention made the difference. Pursue God, climb the ladder, God is with you, helping you. And I can just picture this. You're climbing, and he's pushing, and he's pulling, and he's helping, and he's giving you the strength to do what you cannot imagine you could ever do. We can be different people. We can be. We can be. That's right. Life is a journey, and you are in a process of change. Pursue God and grow. Selah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. As always, Lord, we're so thankful to be in your word. Thank you you've given us your word. And Lord, our endeavor here is to rightly divide the word of truth, so I pray that it was done today. Holy Spirit, please direct every teaching that is done here on the pulpit and the children, nursery, whatever takes place in home groups, that we rightly divide your word. And Lord, I pray that these words will land on fertile soil, that each one of us will hear what you want us to hear from this teaching. And may we pursue you with vigor until we are no longer here. And we look forward to that day that we have an abundant entrance into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've given us a power that is unavailable to the rest of the world, but available to the people of God, the Spirit of God that dwells within us to help us climb that ladder, to become more and more like Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the blessed Holy Spirit. And thank you that you are with us on this journey, and that you will not leave us nor forsake us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.